School is in session with Basketball U. Welcome to your study time for the world of college hoops. Now here are your professors, Tyler Rocky and Shane Orley on ESPN 1000. to a special podcast edition of Basketball U. I'm Tyler Aki with Shane Norling. Our radio show is with you every single Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on ESPN 1000. This is a podcast. You can find it on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you miss any of the radio show as well, we did a pretty extensive breakdown of all the games. But, Shane, I don't know about you. I, I had this thought the other day. As we were in the the afterglow of the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, I think Monday, the Monday after the the second round, the end of the second round, the Monday after might be the worst day on the sports calendar. It's horrible. I haven't. I don't think I've taken a day off of gambling in a while. This may be like a personal problem. <laughs> this may be like a call the hotline deal. But I like personally. I, I wager a lot and on a lot of sports. And mm-hmm. the Monday after the tournament, I opened my app and I'm looking around and I felt like I was in the desert. I, I, we're in a group chat, you, me, Adam Abdallah, where we kind of we, we send our bets around to kind of figure out what we're gambling on for the day. We work on stuff. We try to put together a, a little wagering for ourselves. And, you know, I, I texted you guys. Right after, I think it was on that Monday morning, I was like, so what the hell do we do today? What are we supposed to do today? Because there's nothing except for there was like some NBA and some NIT. I think we... I don't even think there was NIT. There was there were a few NBA games. Monday night, was there any NIT? Monday I feel night. like Monday was the abyss. When like you've gone through a weekend and God God bless. I had a very nice Sunday. I think you pulled through on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Thursday like this is turning into a gambling deal, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was bleeding out on the floor. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get a pick right. We I mean, I'm dying. Sunday I have a magic carpet ride of an afternoon. Get everything I touch right. So thank God. Including a big time parlay by yourself as well. That's right. So thank God I escaped the morbid depths that would have been if I just lost everything uh, and instead had a nice Monday morning. But then looking into the abyss of that sports landscape, I wanted nothing to do with it. It was it's it's like the start of a hangover a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you, there's just nothing to do. You, you just lay on the couch in the fetal position and you wait till the next day. You give up. And you wait till Tuesday. And then Tuesday, Tyler, was like no different. There's still nothing on except yeah. the World Baseball Classic but Championship. But you're expecting there to be nothing on because you just went through Monday. So now Ty, we're taping this on Wednesday. We've got games tomorrow. We're starting to look forward a little yes. bit. We've almost made it out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. 5.30 tomorrow. Michigan State, Kansas State kicks off the Sweet 16. All right, so what we're going to do today, we are going to recap all 16 games that we saw on Saturday and Sunday. Little, little quick hitting analysis for you there. We're going to preview all eight games that we have coming up Thursday, Friday. And also, there's 16 teams left. I want to go through it and, and seed all 16. I've got a little tiers list to it that I want to bring you as well. Uh, maybe more of an observations list than the tiers list, but I, I do want to get that to you. All right, so let's start with some of the action from Saturday. 
We'll, we'll, we'll keep it. I'm, I'm just going to go down the list here. Alabama blows out Maryland. And this is one of those things where uh, this is consecutive 20-plus point victories for Alabama. They're kind of doing exactly what they did in the regular season, especially in the SEC, where they were just blowing teams out. But I think the one sort of constant theme here is Alabama is cruising past all these opponents, and Brandon Miller has still yet to have a signature game in the tournament. Now, he does. The the final stat line maybe looks all right, 19.7 rebounds here, but wildly inefficient from the field, 5 of 17. But he has some some backup dancers for him right now. He's got Javon Quinterly, who started in this game and had 22 points. He was fantastic. He's got tournament experience. Um, Charles Bediaco was a double-double guy in this one. 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 or 5 from the field. Nice to see that there's some help with, with Alabama because I thought they would run into a point where if Brandon Miller was off for a game, their season may end. And that's something that really scared me about them. Well, I think that's what we see looking forward, though, right? Like, Brandon, and we'll, this is going to be a theme for a lot of teams with me. You got to play better than you did in the first weekend. This is a tournament about survive and advance. Mm-hmm. It does feel like... Alabama getting through the first game, obviously over Texas A&M Corpus Christi, who cares? Right. But Brandon Miller doesn't score a point. You score 96 because you're playing nobody. Getting through Maryland, not only getting through, blowing out, mm-hmm. that's good, but it feels a little bit like, okay, you used the mulligan because that was you had everything go right, fired on all the cylinders outside of Brandon Miller. I don't know if that's going to keep happening, and I don't think that that's a – a recipe for success for Bama. He's got to get it together. If they're going to make a Final Four, and really with San Diego State on deck, this is the time because they're going to grind you out. They play a little bit like Virginia. They're going to slow you down. They're going to play defense. Bizarro Gonzaga a little bit because they have no offense to Mm -hmm. speak of, but they're going to grind Alabama down and put them in a rock fight of a game, I would think. That's where you need Brandon Miller to be more efficient. So it's interesting to see how much they've been able to blow teams out without him. I don't think that's what they're going to be able to do going forward. All right, next game here, we got another one versus the 8-9 game. Houston beats Auburn. Now, this is a weird game here because Auburn playing a a quasi-home game in Birmingham, which is something that I think the NCAA tournament committee needs to look at moving forward because I don't think that's right to have Auburn potentially with two of those quasi-home games as the nine seed here. But Houston, I guess the final score shows a blowout of Auburn, but the Tigers were up 41-31 at the half, and then Houston kind of found a new gear in that second half. They outscore the Tigers 50-23, to and that second half kind of gave you a taste, I think, of what Houston's got moving forward after they struggle a little bit with Northern Kentucky in the first round. But Houston rolls along and looks like the Houston team we've seen all season. That second half was such a blitzkrieg effort. Like the, I remember watching down 10 and thinking, all right, well, if they lose, the bracket's really just dead. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm done. Get the kerosene. It, it was a nice, mat, uh, nice march run, but I'm dead. This is it. And instead, the second half they come out, Auburn won, shot, what, three of 20 in the second half? They made three shots after the after the first half. That's it. Three shots. Uh, Houston goes out, out-rebounds, just crashes the boards, eviscerates the deficit in the first two minutes of the uh, second half starting. 
and it just pretty much immediately it was like maybe being down 10 at half in Birmingham to Auburn was the wake-up call that this yeah. team needed because, boy, did they dominate that second half. Not just that, but it looked all of a sudden like everyone that was injured was all of a sudden healthy. Yeah, so. it was – it's one of those things where, like, the adrenaline kicks in or something, where you realize, oh, we can swear it's podcast, right? Yeah. Oh, shit, our season's about to end. And you just turn it up and you go. That's what it felt like when I was watching the second half was collectively, from Kelvin Sampson to every single member of this team to whoever, whatever walk-on rides the bench without a number because they got a T-shirt on, everybody realized we're going to lose if we don't get our stuff together. And they went out and dominated the second half. To me, they should again be the favorite. I know it's Alabama right now, but Houston to me should still be the favorite. Yeah, um, yeah I look at it and I, I, I can be sold both ways because, you know, Houston I think is the better team, but Alabama has looked like the better team throughout the tournament so far. I'm good with, with you telling me that either one are are – the favorite for this tournament. I kind of think they're just neck and neck with each other, which I know is sort of a cop-out, but that's where I'm going with it. All right. This was the the dangerous one versus eight matchup here, and that is the Arkansas Razorbacks knocking off another one seed. They take down the Kansas Jayhawks 72-71. to It looked like Kansas was in control of this game. They had an eight-point lead at the half. They You see just a different Arkansas team in that second half. Um, Ricky Council, uh, the fourth, was fantastic in this game with 21 points. Devontae Davis had 25 points. And the, the interesting thing for me with... with Arkansas is you stage a comeback against a team as good as Kansas is, and you only hit three three pointers for the entire game. By the way, Jordan Walsh also great off the bench in this one too, um, but only hitting three three pointers, three of fifteen, twenty percent in this game, and you take down a team that a lot of people think was the number one team in the country this season. Well, second chance points. I mean, Arkansas able to get on the offensive glass a ton. Uh, Eric Musselman coach team. Uh, the big thing for me, Tyler, was you talk about how Arkansas played in the second half. How about how they played in the last five or so minutes? Yeah. Because that lead, I think it was 12 with like 10 to go. It just felt like Kansas had opened things up. And they you were, and I are sitting on plus three and a half tickets in this game, too. Yeah. We, we're thinking it's dead. Right. And it's like they're just going to stroll to another Sweet 16, Bill Self or not. This mm-hmm. team's a machine. And it did start to feel like once you got that little momentum swing back towards Arkansas and the run happened, Kansas missing Bill Self was the difference in yes. this game. There wasn't a calming presence. There wasn't a guy who can get you a play, get the ball where it needs to be. When you're down the coach, it's difficult to weather that storm, and I really think that was just the difference here. You look at, like, Bill Self is sort of the tourniquet here. like, And I think a lot of coaches are either the tourniquet or they don't know how to place the pressure points right, and the bleeding just uh, gets even more significant at times with some of these coaches. I do think on the other sideline, Eric Musselman needs a ton of credit. And you talk about a guy who I think Texas should be interested in. I know Rodney Terry's having a fantastic run so far. He took his team to the Sweet 16. We'll get to Texas in a little bit. But Eric Musselman has a chance to go to the Elite Eight for the third straight season. How about that? He's been at Arkansas now. This is his fourth season. Missed the tournament, or well, didn't miss the tournament. He, uh, there was no tournament his first year there. And then he goes Elite Eight, Elite Eight, uh, and he beat Gonzaga last year, who was the consensus favorite to win it all last year. And this year he beats 
Kansas, who was one of the three favorites to win it all this year. Like Eric Musselman, he did it at, at Nevada as well, took a team to the Sweet 16 there too, and he just continues to, to put together these remarkable March runs and really needs to be viewed as one of the top five, seven coaches in the sport right now. He's a giant slayer. And I think yeah. this year it's probably the most impressive when you think about losing record in the SEC, mm-hmm. tied for ninth in the conference. Battled through some injuries all season long. Needed to work through the SEC turning a little bit, like had to play their way in in, in, in a sense. To be able to do this again where you're on the doorstep and you just knocked off. So a lot of people's favorite, the darling pick, really, to win it all. Shout out. I mean, yeah. what a job by Eric Musselman. Yep. All right. Next up, uh, we mentioned Texas. They beat Penn State 71-66 to in a game that they were largely in control of. Penn State gives them a little scare late with a 10-0 run, but largely I think Texas uh, was in control of this basketball game. And, you know, Texas, to me, I'm looking through a lot of my bracket pools. They were, they're sort of the sneaky team that I think is picked a lot. Like, I was surprised with how many people have Texas as their champion in a lot of these bracket pools. I don't know if you're getting that pulse in some of the pools that you're in, but Texas uh, continues to cruise here, and they have pulled off the 71-66 victory and are going to the Sweet 16. I think a lot of people counted Texas out just because of the coaching situation, having Chris Beard fired. You do, like, whether Rodney Terry's done a hell of a job, he's still an interim coach. Mm -hmm. And I get not trusting that in the tournament, but probably we were all the fool. Like, we have to remember, this is a team that... Preseason top five, had all of the pedigree. People expected to be one of the favorites when we get here. And now we're here, and they're playing exactly as well. Like 71-66 against Penn State, that game was never that close. Right, yeah. It doesn't it, – the score makes it look much closer than it was. I felt like Texas was in control throughout. There were very few moments where I felt like Penn State was making a run of substance, just kind of narrowing the margin. They um, took a late lead, a late one-point lead, but then Texas responds with a 10-0 run. And it's st- Yeah, and it always kind of felt like Texas knew they could take over and win at any time. Yes. Like, I was never concerned about the result. So that's where Maybe we anybody that talked themselves into Rodney Terry, an interim head coach, and all of the talk outside of the program about who could be the head coach, did Rodney Terry do enough? That hasn't had an impact so far. They may just storm through to a Final Four. UCLA takes down Northwestern. This was one of the great games of the night, actually. Um, UCLA was dominant in the first half. Northwestern gave them a little scare in that second half, and and. You know, I, I tip my hat to Chris Collins and the season that he put together this year. You know, if this team didn't make the tournament this year, probably on his way out, uh, probably had to make a little NIT run if he was going to keep his job, if they had missed the tournament. But he wins a tournament game. He finishes second in the Big Ten this year, and he he's probably earned himself an extension. Um, and, and he did it with a, a great veteran backcourt with Boo Booey, Chase Audige, and I do think there are some bright spots for the future on this team as well. But the story here for me is the fact that UCLA, they have Adam Bona, and they just sort of locked down defensively down the stretch and uh, hit a couple of timely threes as well. So you look at this UCLA team, and I, I think you talk about them. Uh, our biggest concern with UCLA was going to be, what do they look like without Jalen Clark? I think they've answered a lot of significant questions here early on. 
Yeah, they're going to need Tiger Campbell to shoot better. But if he gets the line and convert every free throw, who cares? Right. And then uh, you mentioned Chase Adige. What a performance, especially in the second half, to get this thing close. Like, there's not enough good you can really say about what Northwestern did. I think the biggest thing now is don't go away next year. Right, yes. Do this again. Mm-hmm. Get back to the tournament. Because, like, if Chris Collins, if he goes out and puts this uh, puts together another tournament appearance next year, like, he may he may lock himself into that Pat Fitzgerald <laughs> role. Like, you're, you're there for life if you want to be there for life. Right, you don't have to do much to right. stay there either. Now, he could obviously elevate out of Northwestern as well, but um, he certainly could lock himself in there for life as well. So that that would be a nice cushy situation there for Coach Collins. But congratulations to the Cats. A great season this year. All right, next game on the docket here, Duke and Tennessee. This was an absolute wrestling match that was won convincingly by the Tennessee Volunteers. 65-52 to 52 in this one. Um, Duke looked like they were going to be in control early on and probably about the 10 minute mark in the first half, Tennessee put their foot on the gas and never looked back. Duke made like a little run in the second half, but really it was never close here. They, they could not get the three point shot to fall. And listen, when you've got the number one player in the country and Derek lively, and he does not take a shot, the number one recruit in the most recent uh, recruiting class and he doesn't take a shot, you're not going to win a lot of games that way. Yeah, something that I thought, like, to complete the metaphor about the boxing match, this was Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, where... This was a 10-8. It was close early, and you saw, like, Conor McGregor hang with Floyd Mayweather, and then by round seven of that fight... McGregor's just thoroughly outclassed. Yes. That's what it felt like watching Duke in Tennessee, where Duke can't hung around a while. And this, uh, we'll talk more about this when we get to Kentucky, but this was one of my observations of the weekend. And it was something I talked about a little bit going in. You and I talked about how Duke and Kentucky have played so well, and that, hey, here we are, the classic Blue Bloods in March coming out, just going to go and do it and end up in the Final Four because, of course, they are. It makes the most sense. And then I started doing more research and more reading. And if you looked back at some of the history of teams that vastly overperformed their start of the year right up to the end of the year and into the tournament, typically they were first weekend exits. What happened to Duke and Kentucky? First First weekend weekend exits. Mm -hmm. So, like... I think a lot of people are going to get on Duke not making a Sweet 16. I wouldn't. John Shire's first year, it's tough. There were a lot of injury concerns. He never really felt like he had a chance to get both feet on the ground with the freshman class. I think it was a successful season winning the ACC tournament and getting to where he ended up in this season. Um, Letting Rick Barnes go to the second weekend is a criminal offense, but what are you going to (laughs) do? Yes. Furman and San Diego State, not a lot to take away from this game. I think... If there's anything I'm maybe a little shocked about is that Furman did not put up more of a fight in this game because... Boy, what an ass kick. I mean, yeah, this was probably the most dominant performance of the the, the second round, but uh, San Diego State and Virginia play almost the exact same style. They play that pack line defense as well. And Furman, I mean, you just kind of copy-paste the game plan from the game that you just beat Virginia in. Uh, the a couple days before, and you got your ass whooped by a San Diego State team that is currently representing for the Mountain West right now. And we talked about it a little bit on the Sunday show. It, it, you look at this game, and it, again, brings back, like, 
what Furman needed to be able to take out Virginia. A late comeback, down 10, have this huge run, down 12 even. One of the dumbest passes in, right. in tournament history. You have this massive run late to get close. You have Kihei Clark throw his brain out the window along with the ball, and you end up with a wide-open look at three when you shouldn't have even had possession. It's just... It's a nice story by Furman. It was a big win. Now we have the video moment of Kevin Harlan losing his mind making the call. Do you so, like those, by the way? Yeah, I do. I think I, they're a little odd. What's odd about them? Like, I, I don't need to see Kevin Harlan grab his mic and, and I gotta tilt tell his you, head back. And, I will say, like, I don't need to see it. I guess it's, like, superfluous because I don't need it. I will say, what a pro move. Grabbing the mic <laughs> to make sure that it stays close to the mouth during your yell session what a professional move by Kevin Harlan. I'm not, one of the best in the biz. I'm not a sucker for the uh, the the announcer cam. Yeah, I guess like the Grant Hill falling out of his chair thing. It was cool. Like when we were at the Big Ten tournament, mm-hmm. it was cool to sit behind him and see that reaction live. Yeah. But the replay makes it feel like the moment's forced a little bit. Yeah. Like it's one thing. Like uh, uh, Joe Castiglione falls out of his seat because that's funny. Because right. like he just falls out of his seat. What was that? Was that a Benintendi home run? I want to say yes. Um, but but like, well, I'd fall out of my seat if I saw a Benintendi home run <laughs> but too. If, but if it's now like uh, just a, a miraculous play, like I don't need to see the announcer. Like I, I care more about like the reaction of the people I'm around than than the announcers there. All right, um, the quietest 15 seed of all time, the Princeton Tigers throttle Mizzou 78-63. Shout out to some local products here. Caden Pierce, a freshman from Glenbard West, part of a great Glenbard West team that I believe won the, the state tournament last year. And then Blake Peters out of Evanston, a fellow freshman on that team. Those two guys were fantastic in this one. Pierce, 9.16 rebounds. And then Blake Peters off the bench, absolute flamethrow sesh. 17 points in 15 minutes. He goes 5 of 8 from distance. Um, and for those who may not remember Blake Peters, you should. He was up for an SB a couple years ago for the play of the year when he was a true freshman at Evanston playing on the varsity team, beats Maine South with an 80-foot heave at the buzzer to, to win that game as a true freshman off of a missed free throw. But a couple local products here shining on the March stage. And, uh, I mean... I have never seen a 15 seed go this quietly into the Sweet 16 because, like, there's always some sort of mantra or something. And maybe it's because we, we've we heard of Princeton, right? We've never heard of Florida Gulf Coast. We've never heard of Oral Roberts. Everyone knows what Princeton is, right? Maybe that's also, part of the, the silence of it. I was going to ask you a question about Princeton. Oh, Because there's something interesting about this team. If you are a college basketball historian, Princeton was a Good program mm-hmm. for a long Sleeping time. Giant back yeah. in the day. Do they qualify as a Cinderella? You're a 15 seed. You absolutely qualify but, as a Cinderella. But you're a name brand, and what I about, know it's not what they what were. If, what if San Francisco made a run? <sighs> it's the same thing. Do they have a Final Four? Like Princeton has a Final Four. San Francisco four. had now, Bill it was, Russell. It was uh, sixty years ago, but they have a Final. This isn't like St. Peter's came out of nowhere. Mercer came out of nowhere. 
Like the Cinderella to me, mm-hmm. you can't be a storied program that's like been gone for 50 years. San Francisco is a two-time national You're champion. You're not a Cinderella. You're not. So San Francisco's not a Cinderella. But if you play in the you play like- in the same conference as St. Mary's and Gonzaga and you're a two-time national title winner, you're not Cinderella. But that is 70 almost 70 years so ago. I think what? time I think you get a statute of limitations where you you're a born again Cinderella. Like, was UCLA a Cinderella? They haven't won in 40 years. Were they a Cinderella when they were in 11 and they went through? No, because they're a power conference team that has had notoriety, has been to Final Fours, even though they haven't won the the big one in quite some time. They're still a notable program, too. I also think this, and this is just me giving, like, kind of spewing some, some BS here, but, like, if you've got the Jumpman logo on your jerseys, you can't be a Cinderella. All right. that's That actually I don't hate. What about Butler? Butler round one, Cinderella. Butler yes. round two? Not a Cinderella. I'm with you there. Like, eventually you lose your – like, Stephen F. Austin, I'm not going to give a Cinderella to because we've seen the Lumberjacks too many times in this tournament. You give them enough bullets, they're going to, to have some success eventually. This and, is, But that's the issue I take with Princeton. This isn't Wichita State. This isn't Mercer. This isn't George Mason. This is a storied program that, yes, went away. But when's the last time that story wrote a chapter? But like, then you still don't get to be Cinderella. Like, I, to be Cinderella, I need to have never heard heard your name before. The la- I need you to be George Mason. The last time they've gone to the Sweet 16 was 1967. Good I, for them. I think you can be a born-again Cinderella. I disagree. All right. Let's move on now to some of Sunday's action here. Well, let's start with your game, my friend. What a win for your Michigan State Woo! Spartans. We were together watching the game. It was it was fantastic to observe you. You're getting out to this huge lead. You think you've got this thing in the bank. Then all of a sudden, here comes Marquette. And I will tell you that when they went up, I think 42 to 40, I was I thought it was good night. Once yeah. Shaka got a lead, I'm like, all right, that was nice, but it, it was we're, fun. We're done. Yeah, it was real, it was nice, but it was not real nice. Um, but no, Michigan State ultimately holds on here. And really, the Tyler Kolick saved his worst game for last. And maybe if he's a little better in this game, Marquette ends up pulling it out. Do you I think just, he was healthy. I, I know he had the little locker room scare early in the game, but uh, he was healthy. He, he was playing poorly before he went to the locker room. I don't. I don't know if you. I don't know if it mattered. The thing that stood out to me the most was Michigan State played throwback defense. Well, and here's the other thing that that stood out to me. If Michigan State hits three open threes in this game like they have all season long, they blow this team out. You know, they're the number three uh, three three-point shooting team Mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. And so far through the tournament, they were, what, two of 16 from three? I've got it in my notes here. Let me find it real quick. So they were seven of 30 from three so far in the tournament. Seven of 30. Mm -hmm. When they're shooting close to 40% as a team. The number three three-point shooting team in yeah. the country is 7 of 30 through thir- three tu- or through two. By God, if I can get my numbers together, mm-hmm. through two tournament games. What they're shooting would, less than 25% for a team that hovers around 40. What I would say about Michigan State now is going forward, 
I doubt they're going to shoot that badly. Yes. If they play this throwback Flintstone style of defense, Jerome Tang better watch out. I, I do think this too, and this is going to be an interesting matchup. And maybe actually, I'll I'll save it for when we go through a little preview here. All right, um, all right. Any last Michigan State thoughts that you want to get off your chest before we move along here? Ah, uh, no, we'll get to them when we uh, talk about what's coming up this weekend. Okay, TCU and Gonzaga, a thrilling cover for all the Horn Frogs backers like you and myself, but also. Um, a great comeback as well for Gonzaga in this game, who was trailing for a good majority of this one. But this Gonzaga team's got this offensive switch that all of a sudden they get rolling. They're impossible to stop. Drew Timmy, 28-8. and eight. I know everyone's like, oh, Drew Timmy's back again. This is his legitimate fourth year in college basketball. His legitimate fourth year in college True basketball. Senior. And everyone thinks he's been around for seven or eight years. Not the case. I think it's the the mustache that really hurts him because you've seen the evolution of Drew Timmy, though without the mustache Drew Timmy, and now the with mustache Drew Timmy. But he is a legitimate senior. I, I cannot stress this enough. What are you asking him to do, graduate in three years? I think it's also... How many teams make th- four straight final four, or four straight Sweet Sixteens? And, and yeah, and now Gonzaga's made eight straight Sweet Sixteens so, under this tutelage. But four straight with Timmy, so mm-hmm. you see Timmy every single year, right? Like that's part of it. Like I mentioned to you, I couldn't believe LJ Cryer's still at Baylor. Mm-hmm. That's because you don't see Baylor in the tournament as much. Right. Seeing Drew Timmy, you see him every year, and it feels like at some point this guy's got to turn over because he looked like he was twenty six when he was eighteen. Um, I got to tell you, some about this Gonzaga team, I just hate them. I don't want them to you win. I don't like them. I don't want to see them. I don't like Timmy. We don't want to be the ones to fuck this up. I don't like Timmy. I don't like Gonzaga. Like, I get where he's coming from, right? Like, there's a streak on the line. You are the, the quote-unquote greatest player in Gonzaga history now because you're the leading all-time scorer because of the run you've been on and all the success you've had. Like, yeah, you don't want to be the one that fucks this up. I, I get it. I just maybe it's the steadiness of them where they're now not the West Coast Conference darling anymore. They're kind There's of pressure. the powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because I'm tired of them being this powerhouse and doing nothing with it. All right. Not that Final Fours are nothing, but mm-hmm. you get it. Yeah. All right. The the failure of the WCC from the weekend, that is St. Mary's. They get throttled by UConn in this one. Adama Sanogo, 24 and 8. And this was a thorough ass kicking in the second half by the UConn Huskies. They look like a true and through Final Four caliber team. A little bit of the Houston deal here where Mm -hmm. early, and they were never down 10, but early against St. Mary's, things looked a little dicey. Uh, They closed out the first half nicely to get themselves a one-point lead. And then in the second half, they opened the can. And they beat St. Mary's ass. Uh, That's where I look at UConn and I just go... They're a four seed. They shouldn't be. And that's something that you Mm -hmm. see with this tournament a lot is there's occasionally the team that's seated in the middle of the pack like UConn is that's probably more deserving of being a two. Like, great example. If you had flipped the seating of Marquette and UConn, I thought it would have made sense. Yeah, I I would have. I I don't think I would have 
stood now, for it. Now, obviously, the context like, of Marquette winning yes. the Big East tournament, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Right. But and just being in a terms, top six, eight team down the stretch, too, you can't do that. In terms of the talent on these mm-hmm. two teams, I think it, UConn would have been capable of being the two and Marquette being the four, and I think it would have made more sense in terms of the talent. UConn being a four, they ain't a four. So if you're looking to fade them because of the number next to their name, good luck. Next game features a team that I think is maybe the quietest team that should be given a little bit more attention right now, and that is the Creighton Blue Jays. They they beat Gonzaga by nine. This game was never close. Never close. Creighton thoroughly kicked their ass in this game. Um, Ryan Nemhard with 30 points. I'm actually sitting, believe it or not, Shay, on a 40-1 to Creighton ticket from the preseason right now. Look at you. And they look like uh, they're a six seed right now, but they're playing like a two seed. This motherfucker is, is going to make money. You've got Bama twenty eight to one. Mm-hmm. You've got Creighton forty to one. Next, you're going to tell me you got fucking Houston. I do eighteen to one. You're going to tell me you got UConn at twenty five to one. No, no UConn uh, investments. I can't believe this guy. It's something. It just you have all of these teams at incredible numbers. It must be nice up on that ivory <laughs> tower of yours. Well, which means Tennessee is going to win the whole thing, right? Um, no, fuck Rick Barnes. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> but I mean, Creighton looks like one of the most impressive sleeper teams right now in the entire tournament. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, if we get to our top 16, like re-ranking the teams, they're in the top half for me. Uh, they've played like. One of the juggernauts of this tournament. I get that they have the wonky number in the loss column. They had some injury issues. They had things that they had to work through. They played in a bear of a Big East. I think that's weighing out now. I think it's fair to say those of us that were like, can you still be questionable about the Big East? Is it a real conference? Yes. Uh, We see now Xavier, Creighton, UConn all still alive. Mm-hmm. The only Big East team that's gone out in uh, spectacular fashion lost to one of the three best coaches working today in Tom Izzo. Yeah. It's a real conference. Yes. Uh, Pitt, Xavier, you bring up Xavier here. Uh, Xavier handles Pitt. Never really close there. Don't have a lot of thoughts on this game, but uh, Xavier dominant. I, I still think Xavier's kind of fake, but it is what it is. <laughs> you just uh, wax poetic about the Big East, and then I ask for Xavier thoughts, and you go, I know, oh, but that's where I'm fake. like, of all the teams, Xavier, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just because they're Xavier, uh-huh. that they're the one that I look at and go, I don't know if they're for real, but it, like getting Pitt, it's an easy draw. They should have lost to Kennesaw State. Mm-hmm. If the Kennesaw State coaching staff doesn't plug their head up their own ass for 10 minutes and go, uh, what was it, five and a half minutes, no timeouts, yep. and they let Xavier Watch go on a 15 nothing run, yeah. you can't do that. They should have lost to Kennesaw. That sticks out in my mind. You get the easy draw with Pitt. They are where they are. I don't know that they go a lot further, but they are where they are. All right, Kansas State takes down Kentucky. This was one of the most entertaining games of the weekend. Back and forth the entirety of the game. Marquise Noel, the little guy, as as John Calipari calls him, uh, goes out, balls out for 27 points and nine assists as well. Oscar Sheboy was great in this game too, 25 and 18. But ultimately, Kansas State has just enough in the tank to hold off a, a ferocious uh, uh, Kentucky comeback here. So the uh, Kansas State moving on to the Sweet 16, and I'm happy for Jerome Tang, man. That I guy too. is awesome. First-year coach at Kansas State, it's a really impressive job he's put together to get this team where they are, to have gotten through the Big 12 the way they did, to be a three-seed in the tournament. 
Now you take on Tom Izzo, things get a little real. You know what else got on Kentucky? The one-and-one free throws. Yes, our favorite. One of our favorite things in sports because you have to earn it at the stripe and (laughs) actually earn it at the stripe. Boy, Kentucky, make the front end, and maybe you would have had a chance. Mm -hmm. Miami kicks the living hell out of Indiana in this one, too. This was a team that was outmatched, I think. A a terrible matchup, I should say. I shouldn't say outmatched because I don't think that's the, the proper way to put it, but a terrible matchup. Miami cleans up 20 offensive rebounds. They actually had more offensive rebounds than Indiana had defensive rebounds yeah, in this game. I mean. 20 to 19. Um, Norshed O'Meara had eight of those offensive rebounds. He goes for seven points and 17 rebounds in this game. And those second chance points killed Indiana. And also, this was a Miami team, nine of 23 from distance as well. And it seemed like anytime Indiana put together a little bit of a run in them, there was an Isaiah Wong three or something like that. I was just going to mention Isaiah Wong. What a comeback game after kind of a a rough go in the first round to come out against Indiana, showcase the speed. I mean, watching this game, what stood out to me was Indiana, talented team. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, a great player. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Jay and Hutchcafino, who went on. A wild run late with three yes. pointers, uh, <laughs> almost brought him back into the game. That was, and then he just wouldn't yeah. stop chucking them. But right. besides the point, he went on a great run late to almost get them back in it. What stood out to me was every time Miami got the ball on an offensive re- or on a defensive rebound, they were up the floor before Indiana could turn yes. their heads. Mm-hmm. Like the speed that Miami was able to showcase. And again, it's another team. I don't know how much further they go, but against Indiana, they were just able to exploit the speed and their ability to get up the floor. And Isaiah Wong had a nice shooting night. That was the difference. I, I do want to talk about the – we'll get to it when we get to our previews, but the contrasting matchups that we're getting for the remaining two one seeds uh, for this upcoming weekend. But the last game to, to recap here, Fairleigh Dickinson, the Cinderella run is over. They almost pulled it out against FAU, but the Owls hold on and take down the Knights, 78-70. to Great run by FDU. Tobin Anderson already moving up the ranks. He goes to Iona shortly thereafter. Um, but FAU moving on to the Sweet 16, and I think both you and I thought whoever won that Memphis-FAU game was going to be a second weekend team. But they got more of a scare than I thought they would yeah. against FDU. They were 15.5-point favorites. Uh, I think usually you kind of think, the 16 seed, it's difficult to get back up to the high that you did after acing out a one. They didn't have an issue. And I think I don't want to get too low on FAU here. I think part of it was this fairly Dickinson team. If you watch the locker room videos of their coach mm-hmm. talking about the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. Talking like this is a team that believed they belonged on that stage. Yes. Whether they did or did not, which mm-hmm. they did not, but they believed that they did. I'm not going to take anything away from FAU because FDU played like a team that belonged. It is what it is. Like that yeah. again, a good job by FAU to hang on, survive, and advance. That's this tourney. We'll see how far they go. Yeah. All right. Before we get to reseeding our teams and also previewing some of the upcoming matchups, I do want to bring up a little list that I have concocted here. All right. It's three tiers. All right. It's teams that have controlled both of their wins so far of the remaining 16. Teams that have controlled both wins. Teams that could have lost one game. And teams that could have lost both games here. All right. So the teams that, and I want you to tell me if it means anything to you too. But the teams that have controlled both games that they've been in so far. Alabama, 
Creighton, Texas, UConn, UCLA, and Tennessee that have absolutely controlled both games that they've been in. I know Tennessee played a close game against Louisiana. That, Louisiana was one of the most untalented teams I've seen, in the unskilled teams I've seen in the tournament. I feel like Tennessee was never in doubt of losing that game. I would agree. It also took a miracle comeback of Louisiana just to cover a 10.5-point yes. spread. So, mm-hmm. uh, My next tier is teams that could have lost one game in this tournament so far and maybe a little lucky to be here. Houston, San Diego State, Princeton, Miami, Xavier, Arkansas, Gonzaga, Kansas State, and Michigan State. Yeah, that's fair. And then the team, it's only one team that could have lost both, is FAU. Um, I, I think that when you look at trying to find a champion, I do think that middle tier is somewhat important because sometimes it is good to get a little scared and thing. see see the light for a little bit. I, I was going to say the same thing because we talk about being battle-tested in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I think there's even more to it in the tournament when you go through... Like, Houston had the the moment. It's like being in a car when somebody's late hitting the brakes. Yeah. You got to grab the oh shit bar. Mm-hmm. Houston had the oh shit bar moment. Down yeah. 10 against Auburn. We got to get this together. Yeah. And they came out and blew the doors off Auburn in the second half. That I do think it's important to have that moment because if things get dirt, like Alabama, they're going to make a Final Four. Can we agree? The path would, is easy. I would lean that way, yes. Mm-hmm. They're going to make a Final Four. But when if you get to that Final Four and you're going up against a good Tennessee team or a good Kansas State team or Tom Izzo, whatever you're going up against, and you get dragged in the mud a little bit, you haven't had that oh shit moment well, it's like Well, it's like 2015 Kentucky, right? Like that was one of the most dominant teams of my lifetime, and they didn't win a. They didn't win the. They didn't even get to the championship game. Yeah, what, that was Wisconsin with Frank Kaminsky mm-hmm. yes. dragged them mm-hmm. into the mud, turned it into a rock fight, and you never had your oh shit moment. So, good night. Yep. All right, let's preview some of these games, and then we can reseed our sixteen remaining teams. All right, we kick it off. Your Michigan State Spartans taking on Kansas State. The game is at the Garden of a venue that Michigan State is familiar with from this season. But, hey, Marquise Noel is the New York City kid, too, and I'm sure he's been dreaming of this big moment of playing in the Garden on a big stage. Uh, The Garden also, for people who aren't Michigan State fans, is the house of horrors of the NCAA tournament for Michigan State. Seemingly, whether it's the Big Ten tournament, whether it's the NCAA tournament against UConn, uh, Michigan State loves to choke in this building. I hate this place. I hate that these games are being played here. And the flip side, a little bit of a chance to exercise some demons. You had a 2014 team that should have gone to the Final Four, had a chance to win a national title. You blew it against Shabazz Napier and UConn. Mm-hmm. You got a chance now. Go back to the Garden. Exercise some demons. I, I look at this game. Kempom has uh, Kansas State as a one-point favorite on their line. The Vegas, the Vegas line, line is flipped. Michigan State laying two. Mm-hmm. The difference there is Tom Izzo. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like as hard as I've been on Izzo for some of the things that are objectively bad this year, like leaving the scholarships open, there's no way around it. You don't want to take transfers and you want to leave scholarships open. You shouldn't do that. But here he is in a tournament in a Sweet 16 again with a frustrating and kind of bad team. A huge coaching advantage in this game to Izzo over Jerome Tang. I, I don't know if I'd bet it, but I like my chances. By the way, if you missed Tom Izzo, he was on with Cap and Jay Hood 
earlier this week. So check out the podcast of that. Lo- love Look a good the Tom. Cross in- promotion. Lo- love a good Tom Izzo conversation. Uh, one of my favorite coaches in the sport. But I will say one of the up and coming of my favorite coaches in the sport is Jerome Tang and the way he's gone about his business at Kansas State. Here's the one thing that sticks out to me. Right, we've talked about the struggles from three for this Michigan State team in the tournament so far. They can't keep shooting that bad. But Kansas State is a fantastic three-point defensive team. They are 15th in the country, holding teams below 30%. So I think it's going it, to this game is going to come down to one thing. Does Michigan State burst out of its three-point struggle cocoon or does Kansas State get the better of Michigan State from on the defensive side from three. That's where I see this game coming down to. They also have the silver bullet. They create turnovers, mm-hmm. and that has traditionally been the uh, Izzo silver bullet. If you want to knock out an Izzo team, get him to turn the ball over. It's one of the weakest points of his coaching. And so if they, if listen, if, if Michigan State loses the turnover battle, they're going to lose the game. But you can probably say that about every team in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Super, super intriguing game for me here. UConn and Arkansas. This game taking place out in Vegas. Listen, the Vegas region is going to be a lot of fun. Um, But you've got UConn, who looks like they're playing like a one seed right now against Arkansas, who's got a knack for taking down some one seeds over the past couple of years. And I I love what Eric Musselman has done there. But this is a little bit of a different Arkansas team, Um, a little more defensive-minded as opposed to offensive-minded. But they're going up against the number three offense in the country um, with UConn and, and I mean, the way that UConn rebounds the basketball as well gives me a little bit of pause for uh, anyone that's going up against this Husky squad right now. It's a, it's a game, of all the games on the board, aside from the one my own team's involved in, I can't wait to watch this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you oftentimes, like I mentioned, thinking about um, with Fairleigh Dickinson getting back up to the emotional high after knocking out a one seed. That's something you would worry about with uh, Arkansas after taking down Kansas. The thing for me is we've seen Eric Musselman do this before. This isn't unfamiliar territory for him or for Arkansas. So I don't know if that's going to be a factor. Uh, Arkansas, obviously a grind you out defensive team. Mm-hmm. Styles make fights a little bit going up against a UConn offense. That's really prolific. I can't wait to watch this. Yes. This I I'm going to tab it as the game I'm most interested in for the sweet 16. This is the one I am most interested. It's, it's it's a tie between this one and then one that we will get to a little bit later on. It's actually. also kind of the Danny Hurley show me game. Like, yeah, if you're true. what I think you are, and I deem them to be one of the top three teams in this tournament, if you're what I think you are, beat Arkansas and don't make a game of it. Yes. This is the Danny Hurley show me. Prove it. Mm-hmm. I want to see it. Yes. So that's what I'm looking forward to. All right, FAU and Tennessee. This game Fuck is me. also like, at the this Garden. Is, if like, there's a game I don't want to watch, this is it. You may not see a, a lot of things happening in this game. Not a lot. And the, I don't know if you remember the last time Tennessee was at the Garden. I actually was at that game. Um, they played Texas Tech last season in the Jimmy V Classic. 57-52 in overtime. At the end of regulation, it was tied at 44 um, it, it, just a rock fight of a game, but I do think this one a little bit better. Tennessee, the number one defense in the country, uh, going up against an FAU offense that is top thirty in the nation here. I I think it'll be it'll be a sight for sore eyes though. 
this one that we're going to see. But I'm still intrigued by the matchup. I'm interested in that it's Rick Barnes in the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And what happens now? Yeah. We're in uncharted territory a little bit with Rick Barnes, a, a team in Tennessee down their best player in the Sweet 16 with a coach who routinely does not go that far. I'm intrigued to see what happens next. But I do think you look 58 55 against Louisiana, 65 52 with a bit of a late game pull away. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be the most entertaining watch. This is going to be a grind out rock fight. And if it is, I got to tell you, I like FAU's chances. Like we talked a yeah. lot before this tournament started. FAU, I remember we were at the bar and we were watching FAU highlights after they won their conference tournament. And you just said they're going to beat somebody. This is a 30-win team. Yeah. This isn't some joke team. And I get, like, the Memphis win was clunky, and maybe they didn't deserve it based on the officiating at the end. But that's a really good Memphis team they beat. Yes. Then they go to an FDU team that really felt like they belonged, and maybe FAU overlooked them a little bit. This is an FAU team. Would it stun you if they're on the if they're in the Elite Eight playing for a trip to the Final Four? No. I... I, actually, I had the winner of the Memphis FAU. I had Memphis mm-hmm. in the Elite Eight and in the Final Four. So the fact that FAU won, maybe they're the one that goes to the Final Four. I, I actually have placed the wager on FanDuel for FAU to go to the Final Four. I think I got it like plus 370 or something like that. But I do think there is a world where we see the Owls in the Final Four and Dusty May gets a big-time job out of it as well. All right, this is the game that everyone's talking about and certainly has piqued my interest as well. And that is UCLA-Gonzaga, a rematch of the Final Four from a couple years ago when Jalen Suggs hits the half-court shot to advance the Zags. Listen, I think this could be the big test for UCLA. This is where we may see Jalen Clark's absence really hurt them. Because you look at what UCLA has done this season against top 10 offenses, and Gonzaga has the number one offense in the country, by the way. But UCLA this season against top 10 offenses is one in three. Three of their four losses this season, three of their five losses, I should say, this season have come against top 10 offenses, two against Arizona, one against Baylor. And for a team that is as good defensively as they are, but really hasn't been given a test without Jalen Clark in the early stages of this tournament, I think this could be the one that comes to bite them, and Drew Timmy might be too much for them. Yeah, and uh, obviously Tiger Campbell coming off, what was it, over over 7, seven I want to say, yeah. An over 7 shooting display in their round of 32 game. I don't think Tiger Campbell is going to shoot that poorly again. Jaime Hakez has been fantastic. Like this, again, it's an experienced UCLA team. It's a great coach in Mick Cronin. This game, if you're telling me, like, what do I want to sit down and watch outside of UConn and Arkansas? Putting this sucker 845 Central on CBS is fantastic. Yes. This is belly up to the bar and just watch on the TV, mm-hmm. and you don't really move your eyes off of it. This is must-see TV. And this is, like I just mentioned, styles make fights. This is number one defense against number one offense. Mm-hmm. This is what you want to see in March. Two really good coaches, two highly recruited teams, experienced senior-led teams, uh, two teams that kind of run through some guards. Now, I get Gonzaga's not what they were, but this is what you want to watch. Um, UCLA, I don't know if they can overcome not having uh, uh, Jalen Clark out there, but so far they have, and I just can't wait to watch 
them try to do it against Gonzaga. This is going to be a thriller. Unfortunately, I think this could be the one that trips up UCLA. I would have loved to see this game with Jalen Clark. Would have loved, loved, loved to see it. But you look at some of the flamethrowers that this Gonzaga team has. They've got the the best three-point shooter in the country in Malachi Smith. He's shooting 51% um, from distance. You've got Rasir Bolton who has hit some big threes late in games, too. He's a 40% guy. Julian Strawler's a 42% guy. So they've got a bevy of dudes that can dial it up from distance, and that kind of scares me uh, for this UCLA team. I think this is going to be one of the best games that we're going to see in the Sweet 16. I, I cannot wait Cannot wait for this one. Um, all right, let's move on to the last batch of games here. Xavier and Texas, I think, is a somewhat intriguing game. This is probably, like, if we want to run through too quickly, this is probably the only really intriguing game on Friday. Friday's matchups, little light and intrigue. Alabama-San Diego State I get a little interested in, but Texas-Xavier is the one that jumps off the page. Yeah, uh, I've got no real Princeton versus Creighton thoughts. I I, I, think, I think Creighton beats the brakes off. Him. I think you, you could see it because they're just rock solid, uh, whereas some of the other teams that they've played in this tournament, they're too imbalanced. Like Arizona, elite offense, not good defensively. Uh, same thing with Mizzou, elite offense, not good defensively, even worse. Creighton is just balanced a balanced team on both sides of the ball. And I think when you get that going up against a team like Princeton, listen, it's been fun. It's been a great run for them, but unfortunately probably the end of the line for the Tigers here. Now here's, here's what I'm interested in with the two matchups with the one seeds. Houston is going to have to temper an elite offense in Miami on the other side. One that's going to try to get up and down the floor with them. Houston just has to make them play at Houston's pace, which is a slow it down game. Alabama on the other side, they just have to speed up the San Diego State team who likes to play things slow. Think of your classic Virginia. Honestly, San Diego State kind of a Houston light with just not nearly the offense that they have. And, and I think that if, if you had to peg which team is more likely to be upset, Houston or Alabama, this on Friday, who, which team would you go to? It's a good question. I think, I think Alabama because... I think it's a lot likelier Houston makes Miami play their game than it is Alabama makes San Diego State play theirs. I feel like San Diego State is the type of team, and they're playing so well right now. Like, Tyler, they're, the form they're in weighs into this. They're like if Virginia played well. Mm-hmm. That They're the type of team that can drag you into the rock fight you don't want to be in. Right. That's where, like, I think San Diego State gives Bama fits. Houston... I don't even know if the pace has to change too much. They just have to hit their shots. And I think they do. And I think we saw the rebounding advantage that they're likely to have. I was going to say, physicality in this game, I think. Uh, my initial like first blush reaction to the question I posed was, oh, Houston, just because Miami could light it up from three, which at a certain point you do become a little helpless from from three. But, yeah, you don't want to be trading twos. Right. But-, but, but I do think that this Houston team – can just play a little bully ball with you, that can frazzle you, that can rattle some of the athleticism that you've got on the other side. So I will say that that Alabama more likely to be upset here. Um, I think Houston can do what Indiana couldn't to San Diego State or to uh, Miami too, is just 
use the physicality early and tire that team out. Mm-hmm. Like Miami at the end of that game had too much energy. They should yes. not be able to mm-hmm. get up the floor before you have your head turned around. They were flying. I think Houston working the boards, creating second chance opportunities can gas uh, uh, Miami a little bit and not be in so much trouble late. I think the other thing too, when you look at, and maybe this plays, this actually kind of helps out Alabama. Like the the thing that the the San Diego State team has, their calling card is defense, right? Well, Alabama's defense is actually ranked higher. Uh, San Diego State's is elite; they're fifth in the country, but Alabama is third. And I I just think that Alabama's defense is could absolutely overwhelm San Diego State's putrid offense in this game. Well, and here's kind of the trick, because like if you run through all of these teams, the teams that keep on winning are going to end up being top 25 defenses. Right. Like Michigan State has seen themselves go from mid-40s to now 31. Mm-hmm. If they win again, they're going to enter the top 25. You know, like I, I remember mentioning to you, nobody's really that firmly 10-10 both ways. Well, now Houston's 9-4 and four in yeah. offense and defense. Mm-hmm. So Like, yeah, it's going to be two kind of elite defenses going at it. But that's also what this time of year is. You're going to play someone good. This is where the tournament really starts. Strength of schedule factors in at this point. The final 16 teams, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. It's somebody good. Yeah. Um, Lastly, Xavier, Texas. uh, Texas, the the current favorite in this one. Um, I do think the Longhorns move on. And I think it would be a great game if we got Houston and Texas for the right to go to Houston and represent the state in the final four? I would love to see it. I would love to hear Jim Nance call it. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it excites me the idea of a Texas-Houston showdown for a chance for Houston to go to Houston. The story there is fantastic. And I do agree. I think Texas ends up winning this game. And I know I just mentioned you're playing somebody good. Xavier, kind of with Gonzaga, a reason I don't really believe in Gonzaga much. And I know you said you think they beat UCLA. I don't. A reason why, those are the two teams left that don't really play defense. And that's where when we get to the nitty-gritty of the Sweet 16 – you got to be able to guard somebody or you're going home. And that's this position, like Texas, a good offense, Texas, a good defense. Xavier can score with the best of them, but they don't guard well. Right. And that's where at the end of a game, I think you're in trouble. All right. Let's reseed the remaining 16 teams. You want to just count them down 16 to one. We can start with our number 16 team here. I've got Princeton. Yeah, Big surprise. Uh, Me think, too. Yeah, like, Pretty easy here. It's been a fantastic run. Uh, if we were doing the overachieving seeding rankings, they are the number one team on this list. But sorry, you're a 15 seed. And it's weird that 15 seeds in the Sweet 16 aren't cool anymore. That's all I'll say on on the Princeton Yeah, it's Tigers. odd how quiet it's been. 15... It's because of Fairleigh Dickinson, I think. And yeah. I think it's also because you've heard of Princeton as a school before. But... And also the 15-2 is so regular now. Yeah, it's you like... get one a year, it feels like. The last three years we've had one. All right. My number 15 team in the tournament, I've got FAU. I have F- Miami. Okay. I, I Again, defense means a lot to me mm-hmm. in these tournaments. Miami doesn't play any. Yeah. I, the weird thing with FAU is... I feel like they have underperformed in this tournament, which is weird as a nine seed that's in the Sweet 16. But given what we saw from them in the regular season, and you brought it up, they're a 30-win team. But, like, they should have lost to Memphis. And 
there's a world in which they lose to Fairleigh Dickinson. I feel like we haven't seen their best basketball, and until we do, I can't credit them that much. Can't uh, I say the same? Like, Miami should have lost to Drake. Drake. But they also did kick Indiana's ass. Yeah, but uh, Jalen Huchfino shoots 8-22. Mm-hmm. Maybe shoots a little better. Maybe that doesn't. I know a few of those were junk time three point yeah. heaves, but no, I just they kicked Indiana's ass. I didn't believe in Indiana, and I, I don't believe in Miami going forward. I think they're going to get launched out of a cannon by Houston. <laughs> um, I I actually have a pretty big Miami discrepancy with you in terms of our our seedings, but we'll move on to number fourteen. Uh, my number 14 team, I've got Xavier. You know, this team moves the ball really well. They're sixth in the country with a 64% assist rate. Um, only Tennessee is better among remaining teams in the tournament. And they've gone 67% and 73% in assist rate in their two games. But the weird thing is, is that they're not getting three-pointers out of it. They're third in the nation in three-pointers, but are 10 of 34. It's kind of similar to what we've seen out of Michigan State. They're struggling to shoot the ball from three, despite the fact that that's their calling card as an offense. I have Kansas State here okay, for the exact reasons you have Xavier here. One, Kansas State has the inexperienced coach. Two, Kansas State scores a ton off assists, but they don't shoot threes and they don't Mm -hmm. score threes. Only 27% of their points are scored from threes. That's 284th in the nation. And they're going up against a state team I don't think it's going to continue to shoot 27% from three. This is the third best three-point shooting team there is in America. I just, I think you get outpaced. And I don't like, like Kansas State moves the ball well, but I don't like that it all is inside the three-point line. Mm. I'd like to see a little more action from out there and the coaching inexperience. I got to knock them down. I will say this though, like Jerome Tang though has won a national championship as an assistant. So while you're not the head guy, You've it's a different game. It, it is a little different, but you've been on a championship bench before. Um, all right, we've got some major discrepancies here. All right, let, let's. Who do you got at thirteen? FAU. All right, that's where I actually I'm going to slot Michigan State there. Listen, I don't know how they're still alive on seven of thirty three point shooting, but they're doing it. So I've got them at thirteen. Number twelve, I've got San Diego State. Listen, they haven't played. They've had the easiest path to get to the Sweet Sixteen of anybody so far. They beat a twelve and a thirteen. Yeah, I have uh, I have Arkansas at twelve. Okay, which again, like they have played an incredibly difficult path, and I know Musselman has the pedigree of going to the Elite Eight. I just mm-hmm. this team is like you said earlier, different than in the past. They rely really heavily on defense, and I don't think they're as talented. Like I get the SEC maybe was more than we thought it was, but this is still a team with injuries, albeit mm-hmm. had a losing record in the conference. I think you string two wins together. But I don't know that they're all that out of these 16 teams. If you're in the top 16, you're a good team. That's the next thing I'll say. None of these teams are bad. Right, yeah. We're nitpicking here. Um, All right, uh, that's my 11th team, Arkansas. Uh, They may have the best win in the tournament so far uh, of the remaining teams uh, by taking down Kansas after being down double digits. Uh, Showed some resiliency to me, but I've got Arkansas at number 11, so not a big discrepancy there between the two of us. Uh, I have Michigan State at 11, and kind of higher than I thought I would have them. I didn't think they'd be alive at this point, and certainly not when they're shooting 7 of 30 from three-point range. But they're playing throwback defense. If there's anything I've learned in my life watching Tom Izzo teams, defense and rebounding, it seems like he's finally got those things through the these players' head. Uh, it's not a wildly experienced team, but they're led by guards 
who over the course of a season have shot the three really well. So if you can get Tyson Walker to stop being passive, this team doesn't have a ceiling on how far they can go. I just in terms of talent, what we've seen, they're 11th for me. My number 10 team, that is Miami. I really like what I've seen out of Miami. They, I think, are the most athletic team left in the tournament, and they've done a great job of, of crashing the glass as well. They kind of feel like a little Gonzaga light to me right now with the way that they play offense. Not a ton of defense on the back end, but the way that they play offense right now, they're going to be in every single game, I think. Fast. Yes. Uh, 10 for me is San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Again, defensive heavy team, uh, not a ton of talent. Kind of the diet Virginia that we've talked mm-hmm. about. Easy path so far. Now you go up against Bama. Show me why you deserve to be higher. Yep, number nine. That's where I have Gonzaga. Their eighth straight Sweet Sixteen. Amazing run for them right now. They have this offensive gear that pretty much keeps them in every game. They've had to come back in a lot of these games that they've been in, um, and they just kind of hit this gear whenever they need it. Here's uh, an interesting statistic for you. Going up against UCLA this week um, is going to be the first time since the 2017 national title game that they are an underdog in an NCAA tournament game. For a team that has gone to eight straight Sweet 16s, that's remarkable. That's a great poll. That's a really good stat. That's boy, do they win as a dog a lot. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things too. Like uh, you, you see, and let me let me give some credit here on this one. Uh, Stephen Carr is the one that that tweeted this out. He is a video broadcast and production coordinator at Gonzaga. Um, but I, I saw that stat and I was like, wow, that is fantastic. Um, and it makes sense, like given the, the dominant run that they've been on. Yeah. Uh, I have at eight, or sorry, where are we? Uh, we're on nine. Nine, I have Xavier. And again, kind of the same reasons as Kansas State. I think they're a better version of that team. All right. We move on to number eight, where I've got Tennessee. Um, I, I, here's my biggest thing with Tennessee what happens if they get the wrong officiating crew for a game? Like, uh, what happens if they get an officiating crew that's going to start calling ticky-tack stuff? Like, they're going to foul they out have, and foul out quickly. They have had the benefit of the whistle in these first two games. Mm-hmm. And that's – you do start to wonder. Um, I have Gonzaga at eight, mm-hmm. and I've been pretty steady. Like, I get the pedigree. I get what Mark Few's been able to do. I just don't trust the defense. Yeah. I don't think anyone really does. Number seven for me, I've got Kansas State. This is, I think, one of our well, larger yeah, discrepancies. discrepancy. Um, I, I think this team has been fantastic all season long. They went through the gauntlet of the Big 12. I know the Big 12 hasn't necessarily showed up in the tournament so far, but I think that what they did in the regular season against that schedule consistently as well, they've got one of the, if not the best, point guard remaining in the tournament as well in Marquise Noel. He had the 27-point game against uh, Kentucky. And I know he's inexperienced, but I think Jerome Tang is a fabulous coach. Um, I, I did also see, too, that we will have... Um, unless Tom Izzo pulls this out, we will have a first-time champion head coach. That's fantastic. So there's an experience across the board here in trying to, to grab this national title. I have Creighton at seven. I can't believe that I have Creighton as high as I do. Uh, you look at, the, again, the crooked number in the loss column comes from that six-game losing streak early in the year. They've been pretty good since. Mm-hmm. And I think right now when you look in this tournament – 
they're playing as well as anybody. And they do both sides of the ball well. Top 25, both offense and defense. This top seven is where I start looking at teams that I think can win a title. Yes. Creighton at seven. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go at six, Texas and the Longhorns. You know, it feels like they've just been under the radar. And like I mentioned at the beginning, they've been the sneaky highly picked champion in terms of you look at your pools and you see, huh, that's a lot of Longhorns in there. Like, I I didn't expect to see this many Texas picks. A lot. And uh, here we are. A lot of people think... Nobody likes Houston. That's what that tells me. Yeah. I I think, and maybe it's because they didn't win the AAC and maybe because Texas, uh, they they throttled Kansas uh, in in the Big 12 uh, championship game. So, um, my number... Oh, who's your number six? Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. Any, Any... Thoughts on Tennessee or fuck Rick Barnes? (laughs) I don't want to have Tennessee on my list next time we do this. (laughs) All right, my number five team—that's where I've got Creighton. You know, like I think it is something to be said about the way that they've controlled both games that they've been in so far, especially against a Baylor team with championship pieces. I—I just look at this Creighton team; they are playing like the preseason expectations that I had for them. I thought they were a Final Four team at the beginning. It's kind of unfortunate. Like, if they were in the East region or if they were in the Midwest region, or I think that this could be a team that could, or not not the Midwest, the, the South region. If they were in the South or the East region, I think this could be a team that could win it all. Or not the South. What, what's, what's what are we doing here? Right? Top left, the West, to top The East right. and the West. If they were in the East or the West, I, I think this is a team that could be a Final Four team. But unfortunately, they would probably have to get through Bama if they want to get there. Um, yeah, five for me, I have UCLA. I will say five through three here, five, four, and three are like would be the favorites if not for how good one and two are. Mm-hmm. So like UCLA, uh, I'll just run through the three of them, Tyler, if it yeah. works. Five, four, three, UCLA, Texas, and UConn, mm-hmm. uh, three of the best teams in the country. UCLA um, is at the bottom of this list just because Jalen Clark's out. If he yeah. weren't, they'd be at the top. They might be at the top of the entire list if Jalen Clark weren't out. Um, the experience they have, the coach that they have, mm-hmm. and the way that they've played through two tournament games. I mean, beating the brakes off Asheville, we expect. Yeah. The Northwestern win 68-63, never felt that close. Mm-hmm. Adige for Northwestern a lot in the second half to make that look a lot closer than it was. Uh, UCLA, I just think they can win. Texas, I think they can win. Mm -hmm. UConn, I think they can win. You just have to make the final four. Uh, My four and three, I've got UCLA at four. I just think this could be the game that the Jalen Clark injury finally catches up to them. And then three, I've got UConn, who you look at the run that UConn has been on so far. They were dominant against who I think is the best coach in the country. In Rick Patino, who has since taken the St. John's job when uh, UConn went out and, and dominated Iona after Iona did hold a, a brief lead at halftime there. That was but, a game people thought UConn would struggle yes. into, and they mm-hmm. blew them out. Yes, especially in that second half. And then uh, they beat a five seed. They, they crushed a five seed, too. They in, in a five four. St. Mary's. Yeah, so um, I, I look at what UConn has done. I think their run so far has been fantastic. Two and one, we we're in agreement on who the teams are. It's, it's just shuffling the order, maybe. But what do you have? Two and one. It's one A, one B. I lean. I agree. Mm-hmm. I lean Houston, uh, but I could see why you could go either way with it. Yeah. These are the two best teams in the country. These are the two I would go so far to say if the champion is not Bama or Houston, I would be surprised. I I have Bama with the slight edge over Houston. 
And I think they're the number one overall seed. I don't think any of us had a problem with them being a number one overall seed. And they've won both tournament games they've been in by over 20 points. How can you not make them the number one in the reseed here when we get to the Sweet 16? Now, Houston looks healthy. And even though there were some injury questions there, Houston is looking healthier. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I do think that those are the two teams that still ultimately will meet up in the national championship. Just to answer how I could not make Bama one, when, how I lean Houston, Sasser looks healthier. The mm-hmm. second half against Auburn was the convincing moment where they just threw the haymaker and looked unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, like I had Houston one before, I'm not going to move off of them now. They look that's as fair. unbeatable as they have all season. All right, that's going to do it for us here. We will be back with you on Sunday to recap the Sweet 16 and the first batch of Elite Eight games as well. We're coming down the stretch here, Shay. We'll be with Exciting you times. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on ESPN 1000 on Sunday. Looking forward to talking with all of you then, and we're looking forward to watching some great tournament games this weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday.